Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except way more fun. This month's book is Maggie Shipstead's Great Circle, which is by far one of my favorite books I've read this year. It's a novel about Marion Graves, a pilot who disappears in Antarctica in 1950 while trying to fly around the world from pole to pole. And it's about Hadley Baxter, the jaded young actor who's asked to play Marion in a biopic based on her life. This is the most efficiently I can describe it. Obviously, I mean, you know, this is like an almost 600-page book. There is so much more to it than that, which means I am very excited to unpack it with two astute readers and writers. With us this week are Beth Ann Patrick, who tweets as the book maven and writes reviews for The Washington Post and a great many other places. Beth Ann, hello. Hello, Greta. So delighted to be here. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. I think this is going to be a really fun one. We also have with us today Lori Muchnick, the fiction editor for Kirkus Reviews. Lori, hello. Hi, Greta. Hi, Beth Ann. Thank you so much for coming. I'm really excited to talk about this book with both of you. So um, here's your spoiler warning. If you haven't read Great Circle yet and you don't want spoilers, this is not the podcast episode for you. We have a spoiler-free episode in the feed with Maggie Shipstead, the author of Great Circle. So go check that out instead. If you haven't read Great Circle, but you love spoilers, welcome. We're glad to have you. Um, I think we should start with, I don't know, its this is very obvious, but let's start with the beginning. Um, and maybe mostly about Marion, though we can kind of see how much, I don't know, it's like Maggie goes back and forth. We can go back and forth too, right? Um, but I'm really curious to hear f- with from both of you what you thought about the first couple sections of Marion's story, which involved the ship launch and its eventual sinking. I think these were probably my least favorite parts of the book. Um, But I don't know. Obviously, I didn't dislike them so much that I stopped reading. I'm curious what y'all think. Lori, did those early sections work for you? I agree with you that they were my least favorite part of the book. And it's hard when you've got a 600-page book in front of you and you start (laughs) with stuff that doesn't immediately grab you. Yeah. It, you know, it went by pretty quickly. And you know, I, I got hooked pretty fast. And by the end, I, you know, she just tied the whole book together in so many brilliant ways yeah. that, you know, it made having gone through the history of Marion's father and her mother and, you know, the people that owned the boat that they were on that mm-hmm. sank, you know, it made it all worthwhile because it really paid off in the end. What did you think, Beth Ann? Are you a Maritime History fan? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, even though I don't know anything about maritime history, I am a fan of it. You know, I love the Aubrey Matterin novels, for Mm. example. Uh, I loved the terror, both on the page and on the screen. I'm really fascinated by that stuff. I do agree it went on too long. But like Lori said, it pays off brilliantly in the end. And I think many people whose reviews I've seen haven't noted 
this high wire act that has nothing to do with an airplane, this high wire act about taking a ship sinking and bringing it all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. You know, that is really something. And even though there was too much about the Josephina Eterna um, to begin with, there is a reason for it. And um, brava Maggie is all I can say. <laughs> and I know, I mean, she has said that when she started this book, she didn't know where it was going. She doesn't outline, she didn't have a grand plan. She didn't even know, you know, what the story, you know, what, if Marion was going to be alive or dead at the end, I think when she started and just the fact that she made it all tie together so beautifully with a bow at the end. Yes. As you said, brava. It was beautiful. It truly is astounding. Um, Speaking of the slow start, we did get a voicemail along those lines too. Let's take a listen. Here is Liz in Minnesota who continues to be our most active nerd at book club member. Hey, this is Liz from Minnesota and I am calling about this month's book club selection pick great circle. And I loved it. It definitely took a little bit longer to get into than some other books. Um, It wasn't necessarily that like quick submersive read. Like I kept rereading to make sure I was getting every single detail because I felt like it was all so important. But I think what captivated me most was the fact that as the book kept going and as the story kept going, every single time it switched away from Marion's perspective, I forgot that we were talking about anything else. Like, I was so wrapped up and involved in Marion's story and how she got to where she was and what she was doing and what shaped her to be the person who she was throughout the book and throughout the story and so true to herself that I completely forgot that anything else mattered in that book. And it was incredible. And I want so many people to read it, but also I don't want anyone to read this book who's not going to like it because I really don't want anyone to say that this was not a great book. I loved this one, and I am so glad that you picked it. I can't wait to hear the discussion. That's a fan. <laughs> right? I mean, it feels right. Um, I feel like Liz has a couple really good points in here. And one is the idea of, I feel like so often when I read a book with two different timelines or storylines, there is one that is just inevitably so much more delightful to spend time in. And then I'm always a little disappointed when it switches over to the more boring one. But I found myself consistently surprised with this book where like every time I was just like, oh, great, we get more of this, you know? Absolutely. And this, the voices were just so different. You know, we haven't even mentioned Hadley, right? The right. actress who's playing Marion in the movie and her sections of the book are written in the first person and she just has this really sharp funny voice and those sections are so kind of satirical and they don't take themselves seriously and it's just like a knife cutting through the you know not that the marion sections are overblown in any way but they're they're they just feel kind of softer they are kind of like the pillowy clouds and the hadley sections are the the plane just slicing right through them mm, sorry yeah it's I have to say I have to shout out to the audiobook narrators because so I read this book initially when I first heard about it and then as I was going back to prep for this month I had the great pleasure of listening to it and uh, the the difference in tone, you know, it's such a great way to capture the difference in voices, I think, to hear the audiobook. And it's just an absolute pleasure, I have to say. You, you know, about Hadley, one of the things I want to say is that it was so perfectly 
articulated, but also pitched. It was mm-hmm. such, I mean, I, I don't even know how she managed to find the right tone for Hadley. They're, they're so different. And yet not only did she find that, but she also found a reason that Hadley has to be in the book. Mm-hmm. This is not just about these parallel discussions. You know, it winds up as we've been talking about meaning so much at the end. And yet, as you said, Greta, I found myself looking forward to both. I thought that the time jumps and the splices between the voices worked very well for me. I never felt too tired of one or the only thing I felt tired of was the Josephina Eterna. (laughs) I will say there was one other thing I did get a little tired of, which was the geological history section with the with the glacier you know going through all of it of montana i understand why she had it in there in terms of you know she talks a lot about scale with this book and really wanting to capture scale on a multitude of levels but it just didn't totally work for me i did really love the acid tr- or the mushrooms chapter though so i don't you know it's i love that she experimented so much with different styles throughout the book yeah though. yeah and uh, i do think that the geological stuff. Yeah, it left it left me a little cold. But I also allow myself to skim a little bit with things like that. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mind the geological stuff. I, you know, it gave me a sort of James Michener flashback, you know, mm-hmm. she's just gonna throw a little bit of everything in here. And I, I was ready for it. I, I thought it was fun. Yeah, my mom really liked it too. She is more sciencey than I am probably, which might have something to do with it. But it was funny to learn that uh, Maggie had done a whole section like that on Antarctica too and like had started at Pangea. But it was so far into the book that at that point her editor was like, listen, we can't do this to people again. (laughs) (laughs) Which I did think was really funny. So there are a couple key characters, I think, especially when it comes to Marianne's life. And I think... One of the early ones, obviously, is Jamie, who is her twin brother, who is just an incredible character. The way she describes their uh, relationship, I think, is really beautiful. Um, but there's also Barkley. Who oh, well, Barkley, yes. Obviously, <laughs> is a lot more sinister. But we got a voicemail that kind of captures, I think, what's a really great question that I would love for us to chat a little bit about. So here is Denise. Hi, Nerdette. This is Denise calling from Philadelphia with my Great Circle book club feedback. In the end, I really like the book. I probably would give it um, four out of five Denise stars. I thought that the relationship descriptions between each of the characters, especially the twins and how opposite and different they were, were was really good. Um, and I was a little bit taken aback at the, I guess, the creepiness factor related to the main character's, like, first husband and the fact that, you know, she was very young when all of that was happening. I felt like it was underplayed and it was, like, not... The ick factor was kind of glossed over. I'm curious what you two think of that. I didn't really, I mean, I definitely found it to be extremely creepy, but I'm not sure that I found it to be underplayed just because I guess I thought, you know, at that time, it wasn't that unusual for teenage girls to be married off to older men. What did you think, Lori? I thought that relationship was so interesting. Um, I was just reading a review a little while ago that just kind of glossed over it, said something like, 
you know, as she was a teenager, Marion married a bootlegger and da 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 and mm. kind of went past it. And I was like, Marion married a bootlegger? I would like that's not to me how I would sum this up. You know, I mean, <laughs> nothing about how he, you know, spent years grooming her by paying for her lessons and, you know, all of this stuff. Um, right. It was much more predatory and yeah. on a number of levels than than she got married to a bootlegger. But, you know, during this whole pandemic, one of the ways that I've kept myself busy is by listening to romance novels on audiobooks while oh. like doing the laundry. I love that. So I've so I've got a lot of romance novels in my head, mostly his Regency historicals. And, you know, I just kept thinking how Barclay, like this, so the whole story of Marion and Barclay could have been a romance novel. Right. But if it was, you know, Barclay would be the sort of, you know, he's the alpha man with outlaw connections who only wants to, you know, buy a plane for Marion and let her do what, you know, learn to fly. And Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been a predator. He would have been, you know, supportive and kind of a dream come true. But obviously, um, you know, and it felt like, you know, Maggie Shipstead must have sort of known that, like she's setting up this typical like romance relationship, Mm -hmm. but it's not, she's not going to like, uh, sand the edges off you know he's a predator and he's going to take advantage of her and then when she doesn't do what he wants her to do he's going to physically attack her and um, you know it's going to be really difficult and she's going to feel trapped and it was so but but she didn't make it completely one-sided uh, Marion loved him in a certain way and at yeah. a certain time um, both for what he could do for her but something about who he was and how he came across you know it was very conflicted and textural that relationship so I I just found it fascinating you know Barkley comes in like basically twirling his mustache and he's the villain and um, I liked what Laurie just said about the texture of the relationship that the textural addition in there and when it comes to the contextual part of it Yes, it is very predatory. It was predatory for its time, even without all of our current Me Too discussions. But it also was very important to her narrative structure and also very important to what she was doing with being true to the time period. Um, She wasn't pretending that this kind of thing didn't happen. She wasn't pretending that someone like Marion's head wouldn't be turned. She wasn't pretending that Barkley was in any way a good person. It was, it it was very real and it wasn't always easy to read, but it, it really was honest. Yeah, that section especially was really interesting to reread because when I first read it, I think to your point, Lori, it seemed like, oh, he's going to be the guy, you know, he's going to get her the plane like and and to to reread it and know how dark it gets and to pick up on all of the sinister elements a lot earlier was really fascinating. I think another thing, especially thinking about Barkley, though, I suppose you could relate it to a number of aspects of Marianne's life is it's really interesting how much in the present day. Hadley's version of Marion, the version she gets through, you know, the the journal that Marion had published and the the books that were written about her. Barclay's kind of brushed over. You know, they don't really like it seems like I mean, she 
goes very far away from the only life she knows, partly to escape him, right? And the fact that the importance of that element of her life doesn't really exist based on the documents that are left over, I think is also such a fascinating instance of the fact that, you know, especially when someone disappears, but when they've passed, you don't, you don't get to decide the story that people will tell about you, you know? Mm-hmm. Good point. And who knows, maybe she, I imagine she also wouldn't have wanted that part of her story told is also a fair point, but I don't know. I just thought that was as, as you both were talking, that was something that got me. Um, I, there are so many elements of Marianne's story that I think are really fascinating and delightful and interesting. We can't get to all of them, obviously. I wonder if we should maybe just like pick a couple favorites and kind of talk through that a little bit. A little bit. Um, Beth Ann, do you want to start us off? Was there anything well, in particular about Marianne? There, there is, and I hope that this is not something that uh, I should be saving for later, but mm. I want to talk about Caleb because I think in many people's recaps and reviews, he hasn't made it in. And that isn't necessarily wrong. I'm not trying to criticize the critics, although I do all the time. Uh, But what I want to say is, to me, Caleb was so important because we see Marion later in her relationships with women. Marion may well be a lesbian, but she may well also be bisexual. Mm -hmm. Marion is queer. That is not a spoiler. And the thing about Caleb is that uh, she has a great, I think, a very sexy relationship with Caleb. It's extremely different than the love she shares with women. And it's really different because there's a different level of trust. It's this Mm -hmm. lifelong level again uh, almost think of the you know when she and Jamie are so young they meet this son of a prostitute who's also kind of an outcast mm-hmm. in the way that they are because they don't have real parents and she is able well and he has some indigenous heritage too right yes yes thank you and he she's able to give herself up to him in a way she can't to most other people in her life. Um, she's able to find safety with him at various times throughout her life. I thought he was such an important character, such an anchor. Uh, the first time she walks into his cabin and mm-hmm. sees how neatly he's put everything together, if, if you'll forgive the modifier, everything ship shape. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, he's so he may be someone who lives on off the grid, on the edge, whatever you want to say it. Mm -hmm. But he has a real moral center that is extremely important to Marion. And so uh, I wanted to make sure that we at least talked about him a little. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because like the the beginning of their sexual relationship is kind of because of trading favors because she needs him to cut her hair to look like a boy which is also so interesting just in terms of like his unerring support of her and the choices she makes even if they defy a lot of what you would consider to be you know 
Like, and think of it. Um, um, think of it, Greta. He, she, he cuts her hair to look like a boy's, and then for all those years, he wears the great braid down yeah, his back. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I have to say, there's that scene when she's visiting him in Hawaii, and they ride horses in the ocean. That was just like, oh, this is extremely sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a question: Do you think Caleb was the love of her life? Well, I mean, I, to, you know, I think that the fact that when you know you know when she finds out that Jamie has died it's Caleb she wants to be with so I think not Ruth which you know as happy as she was with Ruth and as much as that was more of a you know an everyday relationship a relationship that could have lasted and they could have been together if they had both made it alive out of the war Mm -hmm. you know on a day-to-day basis they could have lived together they could have been happy together Mm -hmm. Um, but she kind of didn't want that as much as she just wanted Caleb in a primal sense to be with her at the worst moment of her life. So I think probably if you want to put it that way, he probably was the love of her life. I agree with that. And that is exactly what I also would have said, you know, in that moment, that primal moment, she wanted to be with Caleb. And, but I also think she, for someone who seems so, you know, inward and closed and aloof in some ways she actually had fiercely loving relationships with a lot of people and they weren't all romantic and intimate her relationship with eddie is Mm -hmm. it's it's amazing it's incredible yeah I'm going to start crying thinking about (laughs) the thing I'll say about this was actually a question that our producer Isabel had pointed out and um, about Kayla being the love of her life because Isabel's idea was that actually like Marion herself is and her freedom if really she had to choose anything that she was going for the entire time like it wasn't about anyone else in a lot of ways I think and I think you see her sacrifice a number of relationships because she's so dogged in her pursuit of her own freedom um and i don't know there was a there's a line i think it's when she's talking to jamie at some point jamie asks her if she would ever marry caleb and she says something like that would be like putting two hawks in a box (laughs) (laughs) which i think is really lovely i think that's partly i think what makes their relationship so special especially over the course of all of those years is the fact that they're obviously drawn to each other but it seems like they respect each other and their freedom so much also that that that's part of what makes it so great when it does happen does that make sense it does and i i might say Caleb's love of her life but that doesn't mean that they could have lived or made a life together. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You know, two hawks in a box. I love that. <laughs> right? You can just picture them tearing each other apart. <laughs> so I think one of my favorite elements of Marianne's story is the section when she's living in Alaska and I'm sure it has to do with the fact that I grew up there. But you know, I think especially with Alaska, a lot of people have preconceived notions about what it means to live there. But I thought through research and going there that Maggie beautifully captured a lot of just that the the last frontier aspect of it, I guess, that place that it is that the idea that it's kind of the end of the earth in a lot of ways and that it draws people who want to be at the end of the earth, which I just thought was such a treat. I 
watched the first episode that I've ever seen of a show called Alone. It's a survivalist. Oh, Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So bear with me. Cause I don't okay. know how much of it I'm going to watch. I just watched this one. And what fascinated me is of the four people that they were highlighting, three were men and one was a woman and she is from Alaska. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was really interesting to me about this is Uh, the three men would find something, you know, a badger or uh, a hare or whatever. And they'd be like, thank God I killed something. Now I'm going to roast it. Nom, nom, nom. (laughs) Whereas when she catches a rabbit in one of the snares she set up, she cries genuine tears Mm -hmm. and, you know, thanks it and is really upset, but also then makes herself a pot of rabbit stew. And I thought, this kind of strength is what is illustrated to me by the section about Alaska Mm. is that you can be fierce and survive and trap and kill, but that doesn't mean you have to be like, you know, a chest beating warrior about it. And just, you know, I'm not trying to make this a discussion about whether, you know, about, you know, being, feminine or slash a femme or anything like Mm -hmm. that. I'm just saying that there is real deep um, nurture Mm -hmm. in, um, you know, the way she conducts herself in that world. That's a really beautiful way of putting it. Thank you. I loved that. I also love the, um, the parts in Alaska, just the descriptions of flying. I was so amazed Mm -hmm. the way Maggie could continually generate description of flying over white (laughs) ice snow fog you know with no landmarks in sight no horizon and just make it different and beautiful and you could see it and then she went and did it again at the you know on the arctic and antarctic trip i was just astounded by that yeah and now wasn't that because both of you actually also interviewed maggie when this book came out mm-hmm. um and wasn't that something you asked her about Lori? or am i hallucinating yeah no i did you i did. did um and she talked about um She's been to Antarctica, I think, on cruises yeah. a couple of times, but she hadn't really been on the inside because it's way too expensive to go there. But she got uh, um, an assignment for a travel story mm-hmm. to write about, I guess, the ships, the planes that bring supplies to the Arctic during the summer. And she went along with them on, I get, I can't remember if it was a training route or if it was just like on the way, she flew into an ice shelf in the middle of Greenland. So not, you know, where Marion was flying, but a similar right. um, terrain. And she just talked about the awe of, you know, seeing so far away that there sort of is no horizon and you can kind of see the curvature of the earth and, and, you know, and just how she could never really have imagined it and how wonderful it was to be there and be able to see it, but that she could just translate it into words that we could see it in the book. I thought was incredible. Mm -hmm. That's another aspect of the book that I, I think hasn't, been talked about enough. And I'm so glad Lori brought it up because it's true. I mean, my goodness, those descriptions. And it makes me think of Jamie and how important visual art Mm -hmm. is to the book. And um, one of the things that I asked uh, Maggie about is the cover, because the cover of the book, I think Mm -hmm. is gorgeous that, you know, they just did a, a great job with it. And I said, 
did did that was was that meant to be like an imagined painting of Jamie's and she said you know oh my goodness no it's like you know from this artist in this era or mm-hmm. whatever but I like cherishing my little idea <laughs> that it's one of Jamie's paintings because it just has so much of that that space that that notion of there is no horizon. It's just wide space all around you. And, uh, you know, I would be terrified if I were Marion. I, well, I wouldn't be Marion, but reading about it. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah, Jamie's paintings, those were, I reading this book made me wish there were a German word for that thing that happens when you're reading a book that feels so real that you want to Google <laughs> Jamie Graves paintings and then <laughs> God damn it. They're not real. Because <laughs> I thought, you know, there were a couple of instances of that. And that was actually something Maggie mentioned when I talked to her about how um, she sees Google search comment, you know, like the frequency and apparently Marion Graves pilot is one that's like popping up more and more. And I just love that idea of people being like, well, where is that Wikipedia page about her? <laughs> you know, I just think that's really delightful. So we also have Hadley Baxter, who I kind of kept thinking of as like a Jennifer Lawrence from Divergent type person. I think Maggie was thinking more along the lines of maybe someone who was in something more like Twilight. Um, But she has ties to Marion, or at least she has similarities, I guess I should say. Her parents also disappeared in a small plane crash. Her uncle passes away when she's young which means she had to grow up a lot faster than she would have otherwise. She has a lot of ambition, but she isn't sure where to put it. We talked about how the tone is so different. It sounds like that worked for both of you, right? The fact that this was such a drastically dissimilar character didn't throw you off too much? No, it didn't throw me off. I was absolutely um, I was absolutely in it. And I think part of the reason is because she made Hadley so sharp. Mm-hmm. So smart. I mean, Hadley's in this mess and she knows it's mostly of her own making. She knows it's a mess. Um, she knows what she has to do and what she's, you know, trading back and forth. That's what I really liked about her similarities to Marion is that this was not meant to be, oh, they both grow at the same rate and mm-hmm. then realize, you know, at age blank that they are, you know, wasn't stilted mm-hmm. that. She didn't marry a bootlegger. Oh, yeah, she didn't marry a bootlegger. <laughs> she didn't have a twin, you know, all those things. And so um, just knowing how different she was from Marion made me really happy. I was just so glad to be reading a historical novel in which the two different voices weren't about finding, uh, you know, a lost family treasure or something Mm -hmm. like that, even though in a way it kind of is, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's at least a little more subtle than that. What do you think, Lori? I think that, you know, I think Marion's story could have stood on its own and been an incredible, memorable novel. I think Hadley's story could have stood on its own and just been a, you know, a fun novel about Hollywood today. It wouldn't have been as, you know, groundbreaking, even as, I mean, Maggie's last book, Astonish Me, was set in the world of ballet. Mm. And, you know, so it has a similar performing arts, high pressure situation, but it's not the satirical um, sharp tone uh, of Hadley sections. You know, so Hadley sections would have been fun, but not groundbreaking. But put together, it just added 
salt and pepper, you know, to, mm. to Marion. And I just thought they worked so beautifully together. And then of course, you know, they did when you get toward the end, um, I didn't throw in my favorite part of the book, which I think was the ending. Cause I was just so impressed by the ending and the way she drew everything together, which is so unusual. I mean, it's so unusual, especially for a book this long to really stick the landing and you know, become about, you know, by the end of it, it was not only about Marion and about Hadley, but it was about, you know, how much can we ever know about another person and, you know, their legacy and history and what can we know about people who went before us and so many big themes, yeah. you know, that wouldn't have been possible without Hadley, you know, reading about Marion and knowing about her and being interested in her and then actually finding out pieces of her life. And, you know, when she found that postcard that kept, you know, in Caleb's house mm-hmm. in Hawaii mm-hmm. and put together, you know, from this throwaway um, line about, you know, Marion had sent Caleb a postcard the, that the only thing she had written on it was a point an arrow pointing to herself dressed as a man and she wrote what was it sitting in the water grizzly which was hearkening back to a story that Caleb had told her you know decades and decades before well maybe not decades because they're not that old I guess but um a very long time before and you know this thread allowed Caleb to understand that Marion was still alive and then decades later it enabled Hadley to understand that Marion lived and that Caleb knew she had lived and that Caleb went and saw her and they continued their relationship. It was just masterful. I thought that was stunning. Stunning. It was an incredible. And, and, you know, I mentioned a little earlier, like those family photos and those people and their identities are almost wholly lost. And yeah. so to exactly. pull the thread, but to pull it so delicately in a way that, I mean, and especially, especially not just that Caleb was able to know what sitting in the water grizzly meant, mm-hmm. but then to also show that this was Marion really living the way yes. she wanted to live yeah. yes. as herself on her own. And that was what sort of blew my eyes wide open when yeah. I got there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk more about the ending. Cause I think there's a lot about it. That's really great. I think another aspect of it is that it didn't like it all. You're right that it all ties together beautifully, but it also doesn't feel cheap. You know, I feel like often yeah. with those endings, if the bow is too fancy, you kind of roll your eyes at it, you know? Yeah. But it was it was just perfect. So, yeah, I definitely want to unpack that more. I think we should listen to a voicemail, though, and then we'll take a quick break. So here is Kat. Hi, Nerdette. It's Kat from Seattle calling about Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. What a great pick for book club. I'm loving this book so far. I'm not quite done yet. But what I just wanted to talk about was how amazed I was at Maggie's ability to write these wildly different narrative styles and somehow make them work together. I mean, Hadley's story is all, I won't say millennial on we, but <laughs> just feeling trapped, that really specific LA Hollywood voice. And then against Marion's story, that is a true historical fiction narrative but the themes are the same across the two stories. And 
the women are the same and they're dealing with similar situations and frustrations and pushing against convention. I've been loving it so far. I'm really looking forward to the panel and to hearing what everyone thinks. Thanks for a great pick. Bye. So yeah, I think, you know, Kat, I mean, Kat, wow, you're saying exactly what we thought pretty much in terms of, you know, and I think it's to your point, Lori, like, either of those storylines would have made perfectly fine novels on their own. The fact that they were intertwined the way they were and the expertise with which they were, it was just like, holy shit, Maggie, what did you just do? You know? (laughs) All right, more on Great Circle coming up in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Speaking of structure, speaking of intertwining those two stories, um, we talked a little bit about the geological history. I mean, there was some other third-person stuff kind of mixed in. I guess it's kind of, I think it was mostly in Marion's. It was all in Marion's storyline, sort of. Like, it would be in that book if they were two different books. I'm thinking about, you know, the sitting in the water grizzly story, which turned out to be super important. Some of them were less important. I'm curious if those worked for you. I'm thinking about, gosh, I should have remembered what her name was. The woman who ends up uh, creating the fleet of lady pilots. Oh, Jackie. Yes. yes. Good job. Yeah. yeah. Like the hair dye and everything. We get a lot of her back. I mean, I guess not a lot, but there is like, you know, a fairly lengthy chapter about her. That was one where I was like, I, um, I liked some of the texture, but is this really necessary? Lori, since you remembered her name, did you yeah. like it more than I did? <laughs> I did. I loved it. And I also loved, um, what's her name? Matilda Pfeiffer? The the publisher, yeah, because she's publisher. sort of a similar, like, n- tangential character, I guess we could say. Right, and she's also somebody, you know, her husband owned the ship that went down at the beginning right. and the part that we didn't like that much. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, all the way at the end, she turned into this sort of fierce woman like Jackie Cochran. And um, there was also Sarah's mother. I can't remember her name. Oh, yeah, she was great. I did love her. You know, who helped Marion get an abortion when she needed yes. I don't... I don't remember. I don't think we got her backstory. I'm not even sure we ever got her first name um, before, you know. Right. She's not like the other women. But I love these kind of mini um, histories of these strong women characters who just popped up periodically. They just felt like little jewels studded into the book to me. Hmm. What do you think, Beth Ann? Did you skim them? <laughs> oh no, that is it. Now I'm labeled forever. <laughs> I'm <a> skimmer. Uh, <laughs> uh, I 
you you mentioned Sarah Laurie, and I loved everything about Sarah yeah, so yeah, much. It was yeah. fascinating. I wanted to read a book about her and her life, and to you know to see even more of Sarah and Jamie, and you know what would go on. I you know I would love them in a choose your own historical adventure <laughs> kind of format. Mm. That would be, but I did I did enjoy it. Um, I liked the way that. Shipstead was bringing in the rest of the world instead of Marion. It's so much Marion's story. And, you know, that story is limitless. It has, you know, big horizons, if it has any horizons at all. And then you get pulled back into the stories of other women who are also dealing with that time period or whichever gear we're in, um, in Marion's timeline in a different way. That's what I really appreciated. I, I think there are two kinds of novels. I mean, there are more than two, I guess, but I was going to say, know, wow, you're I, just going to boil it down like that? <laughs> I love it. My hands, like I can't I'm, I'm, I'm rubbing my hands together. together. <laughs> what do you got, Lori? I mean, I, you know, I've been on panels where we're giving prizes. I know Beth Ann has too. Mm-hmm. And it often comes down to the two kinds of novels, which are like really big, ambitious blockbuster novels and, you know, smaller, perfect novels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to decide, do we go for a novel that has some flaws, but, you know, really shoots for the, you know, to hit it out of the park mm-hmm. or a book that is gem-like and perfect. Like I remember one year, um, it, I was on the National Book Critics Circle and it came down to Don DeLillo's Underworld or Penelope Fitzgerald's The Blue Flower. Always and the blue flower. That- <laughs> always the blue flower. That is what won. I was very happy. Underworld was not my, I don't love it anyway. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it's that kind of thing. And to me, like a book like this, it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, even if there are parts that I'm not as crazy about. Although in yeah. this book, after I got past the first couple of chapters, I really loved it all. Mm. You know, none of it felt extraneous to me but even if it does kind of so what like it's there's so much pleasure to be had in this book you know even if you got to skim a few pages it's just fantastic yeah no I think I agree with like as many you know and I have mentioned a couple of qualms I had but I think they only stood out because the rest of it was such a pleasure and it it there it was enough of a pleasure that I'm not even mad about it even you know I'm it's like yeah sure I would make some tweaks but like it was it was just such a great time. It was so immersive. I thought it was kind of the perfect read in a lot of ways. And maybe not perfect the way you mean as like, you know, yeah. a, a perfectly honed gemstone or whatever. But just, you know, I mean, I don't know. It reminds me of something Maggie said in an interview when this book came out where she was recommending other books. I think it was for Vanity Fair or something. And she mentioned, I think it was talking in reference to the signature of all things, the Elizabeth Gilbert book, but she says um, it's just fat and satisfying. I'm like, that's how I felt about great circle too. It's just fat and satisfying, you know, it's so satisfying. And it's one of those books that I will be recommending to so many people this year. I know um, Lori has said, did you, is, is it, it's one of your top books. Is it your favorite so far? Um, it is definitely, I think it's my favorite book so far. This year. And I know Ron Charles says that it's his um, <laughs> so far of the year. And well, that's that, a trifecta. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, because I, I'm, 
it's I, it, it's it's definitely up there for me, and I'm not sure if I've even thought enough about my favorites of the year so far. But there's no question that Great Circle is in the top three, you know, um, and it will probably come out on top because it has everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the thing I keep realizing as I recommend it to people, you know, because it's just like, oh, you like maritime history? Great. You like aviation history? Awesome. You like Alaska? Cool. You're curious about like a like interesting indigenous character? Awesome. Like there's just I feel like there's something for everyone in this book. The other thing about this book is that it's not just that there's so much plot and fantastic characters and an overarching structure that is about bigger things, but just sentence by sentence, it's also beautifully written. And she's so observant and, you know, every sentence kind of sings. Yeah, it really does. So let's talk a little bit more about the ending because as I said, I thought it was great. I mean, it really was exactly what I would have wanted, which isn't what you always get out of a good book, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Why... I don't know. Do you think it would have been as great a story if we never had an answer? Like, do you think that could have been satisfying somehow, Lori? Um, I think there are probably ways she could have done it that would have been satisfying. But this was just so perfect. You know, I was so happy to be, you know, to know the answer and to have the answer be something that I wouldn't have thought of and to have the answer not be sort of easy and pat. So it really elevated everything. What did you think, Beth Ann? It did. It really, um, I love that. It it wasn't easy or pat. It was an ending that felt, I I said this before, it felt authentic. It felt honest. You know, this is the kind of thing that can happen. Sometimes you have a plane that, you know, goes down into the ocean and everyone's lost. Sometimes there are survivors and they make different choices. They don't always, people don't always come back from a disaster. You know, this was Marion's way of, you know, coping with PTSD, with memories, with all kinds of things. And so I think, think it's better this way. And clearly, I mean, we're all biased lovers of Great Circle, but <laughs> I, I do have to say in my unbiased way as a critic that <laughs> the, the structure of the ending was very, very well played. Yeah. Do you think partly what made it so satisfying is that we didn't know there was going to be a mystery around it at all? I mean, you know, it's not set up as a book where you'll get to uncover what happened to Marion Graves. That's barely a question in anyone's mind because they just assume, you know, like it seemed pretty obvious what happened. I think I just sort of, because there were so many parallels to Amelia Earhart, mm. you know, to whom whom we, we don't know what happened to her. So I, I just kind of went through the book feeling like, maybe we won't ever know what happened to Mary. And I I wasn't, you know, I wasn't waiting for a a thumbs up or thumbs down, you know, on what happened to her. So to get it was like a bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Like the cherry on top of the Sunday. Yeah, that that is a good way of putting it too, because it seems like, I mean, with so much around this story and having interviewed Maggie, she's not uncomfortable with, with gray area, with nuance, with uncertainty. You know, I think a lot of what she does is she lets us fill in the blanks about things. And that's so satisfying. And so I think to that end, in some ways, it's almost a surprising choice that she did do it that way, you know? 
it's just so nice to be able to talk about the ending because when you're right, you know, when <laughs> I was does. interviewing her, I kept, I was asking her questions, but I was like, don't worry, I'm not going to print any of this because I know we don't want to give it away, mm-hmm. you know, so it's nice to have, you know, n- no problem with spoilers. So I'm curious, based on what we have from Hadley's section about Peregrine, the movie adaptation of Marianne's story, do you think it's going to be a good movie? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> it's hard to tell, I think. Well, and Hadley, I mean, it seems like so many of the decisions she's is like, is this going to get me an Oscar? Is like literally a thing she asks herself when she thinks about playing it. Obviously, she makes the choice to take on that role for a variety of different reasons. But yeah, I can't tell if it would be really hokey and tacky and lame or like actually pretty profound. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be awful. I yeah, think me too. <laughs> I think Peregrine is going to be awful, and that is okay because that is not why Hadley had to be in the story. That is not the ultimate purpose for her, and just getting through Peregrine and learning about someone like Marion, that is really important for Hadley. So I think it's going to be a stinker. It's going to be Ishtar level. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) But it'll be legendary. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Just just like Ishtar. Just like Ishtar. Mm, Well, and you know, it's about the journey, right? I mean, the fact that she gets to learn as much as she does about Marion and doesn't want to share it with the film, I think makes you really realize that it's not the movie that's important to her. Right. It probably never was really. Right. You know, so uh, we like to do a thing where we assign a completely arbitrary rating system to each of our books each month. I think for this one, I don't know. I thought about doing like diamond earrings removed with tongues, but that seemed a little (laughs) fussy. Um, so I figured, and in terms of capturing scale, I figured we could do massive glacial formations. <laughs> so from one to 10, uh, Beth Ann, let's start with you. How many massive glacial formations would you give great? Wow. Story? This is hard. <laughs> it's epic. You know, I don't usually do ratings. Mm, yeah. Well, we could do Denise stars. I really liked that. Denise are listening <laughs> Denise stars. I am definitely, I'm going to give this. Ooh. Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to give it nine, just be, nine glacial formations mm-hmm. because it's really hard for me to say. But you know what? We did say she stuck the landing and that would be yeah. a 10. So 10. 10. Ooh, that's exciting. What do you think, Lori? I'm going to give it a 10 also. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I couldn't think of anything that would make it better, really. I think I'm going to be that person and give it a nine. But that's still a very high mark of of glacial formations. It is. It is. And they're massive. Massive glacial they're formations. Massive. Oh, yeah. They're huge. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad we all liked it as much as we did. It's so much fun to talk about. Um, thank you both so much. I feel like we could talk for another, like the rest of the day practically, but I feel like this was a good start at least. And it was such a pleasure to chat with both of you about such a great book. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Okay, that's it for Book Club this month. Our July book selection is Version Zero by David Yoon. Stay tuned for the author interview coming out the first Tuesday of July. I believe that is the 6th. Then the discussion is going to come out on the last Tuesday. I have no idea what day that is, even though I could do that math. I refuse. I can't wait to hear what y'all think of this book as you are reading. When you finish, be sure to send us a voicemail with your thoughts. You can record yourself on your smarty phone and then email the file to nerdetpodcast at gmail.com. The show is produced by me and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you with more book club in July. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.